Welcome to the 100th edition of Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I'm talking with the chairman of our Republican Party, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. And Steve, the government has changed, and now Democrats control the White House, the Senate, and the House. So where do we go from here? The big thing to note is this nation is very evenly split. The Electoral College kind of is thrown out of whack by California and New York, which don't act like any of the rest of the states. When you look at the other states, then the Electoral College actually is split 50-50. So if you think that's not enough example of how this nation is so evenly split, you go into the House of Representatives, that is 50.2 to 49.8. So again, a very narrow split. If you still aren't convinced, then you go into the Senate where you've got equal 50-50 split. And so this nation is not giving a big mandate to the progressives and the socialists who are in the Democrat Party today. And so I think as we move forward with that very narrow vote in both the House and the Senate and with people having to worry about re-election, then example, it's much easier to oppose President Trump than to actually govern. And so now that the ruling party is in charge, we'll see how they govern. But with those narrow margins, it's going to be very difficult to get legislation through. For instance, let's say they want to do something on gun rights. You've got at least 20 to 25 of the Democrats who are going to be very nervous about voting to take away gun rights. Those are the Democrats in the House. In the Senate, you'll have several whose election will depend on how they vote on the Second Amendment. And so it's going to be very difficult to get anything like that through. If they want to raise taxes, again, those same Democrats who've got to go back and answer to pretty evenly split districts why they would vote to increase taxes. And of course, that's been a very big piece of what Joe Biden says. We're going to do away with that Trump tax cut. He says it's just for the billionaires, but the truth is that tax cut gave a lot of taxes back to American people in the middle class and into the working folks of the country. And so when you start talking about increasing taxes by three, 200, $300, $400 for middle to low income workers, you're going to have a real problem at home being reelected. And so you're going to have trouble getting that vote through. In the Senate, it's even going to be much more difficult unless the Democrats walk away from the filibuster. Both parties have been reluctant to give up that filibuster because it gives a power to the minority party. And that's what gives great balance to the Senate. So if you take away the filibuster, keep in mind that the Senate very well could switch hands again two years from now, then Republicans would be in charge without the Democrats having access to the filibuster. That's been something that neither party has been willing to give up. And when they're in the status of the majority, because they're afraid they'd be in the minority very soon. One of the biggest pickup efforts that we will have in two years is going to be Senator Warnock is extremely radical. He is not just a little radical. He's been against the police. He's been against law enforcement of all kinds. He has a lot of questions that he never really had to answer in this campaign. The press protected him, but he cannot be protected through his votes and through the next two years. So that's going to be a very strong pickup opportunity for the nation. And let's say everything else ends the same. That would flip control of the Senate back to Republicans. And so all of this to say that governing is much more difficult than standing on the sidelines and sniping. And without Trump, what is the Democrat Party going to do to cause its members to coalesce, to cause its different factions to coalesce? They have a deeply divided, a deeply broken party. And I will admit that the Republicans have their own problems, but the Democrats are very deeply divided along the idea of Marxism, socialism, and then those Democrats who represent working 
surrounding neighborhoods represent the manufacturing sectors of the country. And so we will see where this new administration goes. Okay, now talk to me about impeachment. The House voted to impeach. Next up would be the Senate. And I understand it takes a two-thirds vote in the Senate. Do you see that happening? Well, first of all, the House voted to impeach the president because remember, they made that commitment to impeach the president before he was even inaugurated, Right before he was even sworn into office, and the efforts began almost immediately. And they had the Justice Department working with them, that release of documents from the outgoing chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, had a lot of revelations in there where the Justice Department, the FBI, the judges, everyone knew what was going on, and they continued to let it happen. So the Patriot Act had to be reauthorized every year because there was such nervousness about it being used against Americans. And sometimes the provisions would be strengthened, sometimes they would be weakened. And when the safety precautions were put in stronger, then I generally would vote for it. But when they were removed, then I would vote against it. A very difficult vote for me in Congress. But then that was the act that was used to spy on the president. If the government can spy on a sitting president, they can spy on any single one of us. So what you have going on is the Democrats continuing even up to the last day of President Trump with their promise to their base that they would impeach the president. Now, when it goes to the Senate, you're going to again have a lot of division there. You're going to have to have 17 Republicans join with the Democrats in order to reach that two-thirds majority that's required to convict in the Senate. If they take it up immediately, then you can say, okay, it was an impeachment and they feel like the president should have been removed, they didn't get to it, but now they're going to do it in a timely fashion afterwards. Then you can say we disagree with them, but they are using the process that's available to them. If instead they let it drift through weeks and weeks and maybe even to months and maybe even beyond, then you're going to come to the opinion that the Democrats are using the impeachment as a political process in order to obstruct both the Republicans and obstruct President Trump from running again in four years. I think Democrats are frightened that he might do that. Now, we talked about the difficulties on the Democrat side. The difficulties for the Republicans is you had 10 of the Republicans join with Democrats to vote to impeach the president. Keep in mind that the process in the House is like a grand jury. In the House, they're supposed to determine if the facts exist, which would warrant then the trial the trial occurs in the Senate. And so the impeachment process had 10 Republicans vote yes in the House. In the Senate, you have different voices that are springing up saying, okay, we may vote for it. We'll look at the facts. All of that is very uncertain. So you have a lot of Republicans who are never Trumpers. They kept quiet while he was in office. But the fact is that the president brought amazing new potential to the party. An unprecedented number of black voters voted for President Trump. The same is true of Hispanics and Asians. Women were flocking to the party because they felt like that law and order was the better course of action instead of the protests that were burning down cities. For myself, I think that if the Republicans will stay rooted in their principle, if they'll stay grounded in their beliefs, then we're going to be fine as we go through the next two years. Who is the leader of the Republican Party now? We reelected Ronald McDaniel as the chair of the RNC, but that's the official structure. The leader of the party really has to be a public figure and you can never elect that spot unless you elect a president. We're looking for that leadership. It depends on how active that the president and his family are. It's obvious that uh, Donald Jr. and maybe Eric have ambitions down the road. 
I don't know how active they're going to be. We haven't heard much from them. But you also have the governors who are Republicans right now. Christy Noem is making a big name for herself. Her state is open for business. She's never shut it down, doesn't even have a mask policy for the state, and the schools are open. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida has done a magnificent job. And so you have those voices that will begin to put themselves into the middle of the discussions, but fascinating times ahead of us. Stay tuned in the next two segments. We've got Senator Greg Baca going to join us in segment two, and then Jim Townsend, the minority leader in the House, is going to join us in segment three. So we've got a lot left to talk about in the coming two segments of Inside New Mexico. So stay tuned for us, and we'll be back shortly. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil slash employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico as Steve Pierce talks with our first guest this week. Steve? Well, Derek, as we mentioned in segment one, we are just very pleased to have Senator Greg Baca. He's the incoming minority leader in the New Mexico Senate. Senator, thank you for being with us today. Congratulations. And tell us a little bit about what you're expecting to see during this 60-day session of the New Mexico State Legislature. Thank you, Chairman, and thank you for having me on today. Um, well, as, as you know, uh, this is a year like no other. Due to the pandemic, there's a lot of rule changes taking place within the legislature this year, as well as a heightened sense of security for fear of riots and unrest, if you will. Um, however, though, I, I feel really uh, bad for the public and that the, I feel like the public's being excluded to a degree that maybe we don't have to be up there. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, we won't be seeing the friendly faces from around New Mexico that are there to help us and give us their opinions. Yeah, so this is kind of curious to me because I listen to a lot of different people and I'm not hearing these great threats of violence. Where is that threat coming from? Have you heard those? One of my concerns is is that we're instituting all the security and I have not heard of really a credible threat. I've heard what's described as chatter, not real clear what that means, but we're going through quite a bit of a extensive security operation there at the Capitol to combat this. And uh, I, I just sometimes wonder if it's all warranted or not. Yeah, basically what it's doing is removing the right of peaceful protest from people because they're not going to be able to get within, what, 100, 200 yards of the Capitol. And that's always been one of the things. You stand on the steps of the Capitol and you speak to your supporters. The pro-life march usually starts down at the Catholic Church just off the square, makes its way through the square, around the, the corner, down Paseo de Florato to the Capitol. And now they're not going to be able to get even close to it. It looks like the voices of the people are being separated from the people who represent them. You know, it, it certainly does. And I, for one, am going to miss that march. You know, I'm a firm supporter of life and all that that march represents. And so we really need their voices to be heard up there for those that uh, couldn't otherwise be heard. In addition to that, uh, we already have the issue of the public being excluded uh, from the inside of the building due to fear of sickness and whatnot. But I think uh, that those voices that are missing from the interior of the building and those constituents that make the trips up there to visit with their 
legislators and to have their voices heard are going to be sorely missed, at least by myself. And certainly that limitation on their right to be there, I believe, is not a constructive thing. Yeah, it's really, for me, a sad day when you start limiting access into the Capitol, into the offices to where you can sit and visit with your state representative. I can remember years before I was politically involved going up and visiting a couple of my representatives from Lee County, and it was an important thing. And you know yourself that a lot of just very humble people come in to let their voices be heard. How do they get heard now if they're outside a fence 100 yards away from the Capitol? It's just one of the, the things I think that is suffering another one of our freedoms that is suffering right now. Well, is, this is going to be the first session without Senator John Arthur Smith, and he was Democrat. But I will tell you, I have boldly said for the last 10, 15 years that if it weren't for Senator Smith, New Mexico would be in a lot worse fiscal condition. As we all know, some of the more moderate faces on the Democrat side will be gone this year. Some of those people that we could count on to help us when those really outlandish bills get presented and they assisted us with some common sense and either stopping them or supporting some good legislation and they're going to be missed this year. I understand that they have been replaced really by their own party with a more progressive group and so we'll see how that plays out but one thing that I do know is we have a couple of great brand new senators coming in. Joshua Sanchez who is in the neighboring district for myself and Crystal Diamond from down south and we expect great things from those two. In addition we have our uh, two senators coming over from the house this year. Former representative and now Senator Gallegos and Senator Smedes and uh, we expect their hard charging efforts to be uh, vital for us in the upcoming session. So we have some new firepower on our side and we welcome them. And I think we're going to be able to at least make some new coalitions in there. We have many senators from the other side that live in rural districts, and I look forward to working with them on the common ground that we can agree on. Well, I'm excited about the new members on our side of the aisle, too. You just mentioned them, but I will tell you, I think that they're all going to be vocal. I think that they're all well thought out, and we will see. But I'm excited that you're leading the group and excited for this session to play itself out. What are you expecting in the way of taxes, in the way of the budget? Tell me a little bit about uh, what you're hearing from Legislative Finance Council and, and the other operations that really get you all prepped for the Senate session. For one, I'll say that the budget forecast and our revenue forecasts are better than what we're expected. Uh, I do know that. I'm glad to hear that. I think we're boosted up in a large part from federal dollars that we received over the summer in the form of stimulus. And so that's really helped us out. I am hearing grumblings of a increased budget, whether it's uh, by a small amount or not. I don't know. But I'm going to have to say that we need to be really cautious and any budget increase should be met with a lot of scrutiny by the legislature because we haven't fully seen how this pandemic and the economic effect of those harmful shutdowns is going to impact the state. And so I think a conservative approach to the budget would be uh, just good advice for this upcoming year. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm hearing grumblings as well of another attempted rate of that permanent fund. And, you know, it's funny, Chairman, but I've been there four years. And in the four years, I've had a chance to see the boom and the bust. And the bust came first. When I first got there, we had no money. And 
then a couple years ago, oil started producing and this state had money again and we were flush. But the one thing that remains consistent within the legislature is the attempt at the permanent fund. That is consistent. Whether there is a little bit of money or a lot of money, uh, I guess that permanent fund is attractive to some folks in that they always want to get their hands in it. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail and we can keep going on with what we have and preserve that and uh, just supply the state with the interest that rolls off that for years to come rather than expending that corpus of that fund. The thing that strikes me most about the Senate is the different rules from the House. I was always a House member both in the legislature and in Washington, and our rules were so much different than yours. Do you see the filibuster being used much at all in the Senate here? I remember Senator Davis from Albuquerque was someone who used that frequently and well. Do you have anybody on your team who can filibuster and hold the floor for hours at a time? We certainly do. We have a gentleman from up near the northwest corner of the state named Senator Bill Scherer. And uh, I'll tell you, the rules limit the amount of uh, filibustering we can do, but I'm uh, comfortable that he can fill every minute of that and more if necessary. He's rather talented at that. We've used it here in the past. We've had that happen a couple of times. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully a dialogue and a, um, a conversation can quash that sort of procedural attempt at slowing things down. So, you know, I look forward to the easier way first always, but we are aware that that's available at any time. Folks, we've been visiting today with Senator Greg Baca, the new minority leader for the Republicans in the Senate. To our listeners, if you'll go onto his Facebook page, give him a like so that you can follow daily what he's saying. The Republican Party of New Mexico is going to coordinate with his press person and the House press person. We'll be putting out daily updates. And so join in and be watching because this session will tell us a lot about the future of New Mexico. Again, Senator Greg Baca from Valencia County. Greg, thank you for being with us and Godspeed in this coming session. Thank you, Chairman. We'll be back to talk with the minority leader of the New Mexico House of Representatives, Jim Townsend, in just a moment on Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. Here's Steve Pierce with our second guest on the program, Steve. Well, Derek, as we mentioned previously in the show, we are just really pleased today to have a representative, Jim Townsend from Artesia. He's the minority leader in the New Mexico House of Representatives to join us on the show today. Jim is also national committee man for New Mexico, so he joined me in Florida for the Republican National Convention. First of all, tell us, Jim, a little bit about what you thought about the Republican National Committee in its convention, its winter meeting there in Florida, and then we'll transition over and talk about this session that's just kicked off this week. You bet. Thanks, Steve. Being my first real trip where I felt confident on what was going on my second trip, but the first time you're just kind of struck by the awe of it all, 
this trip, we sat in on some committee meetings. We got to watch the tenor of the Republican Party and how moldable it was and how they were listening to each other and listening to the people. And I was really excited to go to participate. And even more than that, I was really I was really excited to see the tenor of the people that attended, and and, uh, it was a great time. I look forward to doing it next time as well. Well, I'll tell people that we re-elected Ronna McDaniel as our chair, and one of the first really major things she had to address, and it wasn't a motion or anything from the floor, it was just a question that said that some people say this is the party of Trump, and what do you say? And I thought her answer was very appropriate. She said it's the Republican Party, and it's also the party for Trump. We need everyone who participated with Trump to be a part of our party moving forward. And I thought that showed the balance that we needed. You've got some never-Trumpers loose right now. Some voted for impeachment to move ahead into the Senate. In the Senate, you have different ones saying that they would vote for impeachment. But I tell you, anyone who does that does it at their peril, because I believe that Trump is still very popular out on the main street. And I think that folks will be watching how the votes went, both in the House and the Senate. Well, now then, you've kicked off this 60-day session. This is usually the big budget session, but you also have the unlimited opportunity for bills to come up. What are you seeing as the major pushes that the Democrats are going to push forward in this legislative session? I think you're going to see regulatory oversight. You're going to see, unfortunately, increased taxes and fees. You probably will see an overarching effort for bigger government. Early on, I looked and there were more than 100 bills that are already pre-filed. A lot of things that we are hearing on early childhood, health care is a big topic. Changes in minimum wage is already out there. Patricia Royball Caballero has a minimum wage increase, which is going to be disastrous to small businesses coming off of, in some cases, eight and nine months of shutdown. So it's going to be a tough session. I'm excited about what we're doing. We have a great caucus that is sound and capable of debate, and I know they will. Now, you've got a couple of new members in the House. Uh, Talk a little bit about the potential that they bring. You bet. Luis Terrazas comes out of Dimming. He's a businessman. He's professional. He's well-spoken. And I look for bigger and better things real quick. We have Randy Pettigrew, who's replaced David Gallegos, who's new. We have Stephanie Lord, who comes out of the East Mountains, had uh, won a tough race. I mean, uh, she was outspent, uh, I think, about five to one and won that race. Stephanie has been an ardent Second Amendment supporter. She's a law enforcement. And then Randy, of course, comes out of the oil and gas industry and has deep roots in engineering and the community over there. So I think you're going to see great things out of all those folks. And we also have Josh Hernandez. Josh Hernandez is Tim Luss's place in Rio Rancho, and I think Josh is going to do a great job. He's been involved in politics. He's involved in this community, and he, too, is well-spoken and capable. Now, two years ago, you'll recall that uh, the Democrats put forward one of the most egregious abortion bills in the entire country. New York and Virginia had captivated the attention of the public a couple of weeks before that was introduced, and so opinion ran strongly against it. The House passed it along party lines, and then in the Senate, those eight Democrat conservative senators joined with the Republicans to kill that. Do you think that the governor, given the conditions that we're facing right now, is going to bring that bill back up? Yes, sir. I believe it will be brought back up. I think the 
what we refer to as the assisted suicide bill. It was pre-filed, and we'll see those both. Now, one of the things that really stands out, and especially in the discussions with uh, Senator Baca earlier on this program, were the new protective measures at the Capitol. Have you actually heard of any real threats, or is that just anticipating? Tell us a little bit about that chain link fence that's put up around the Capitol to keep people 100 yards away, it looks like. That would be shown to be a overreaction. I'm not aware of any threat on the New Mexico State Capitol, and time will always tell, but I personally, I hate the fact that my constituents will be restricted from joining in the legislative process. One of the things that I'm hearing the most clamoring about is getting our kids back in school. Do you see any bills coming up from the Republicans that say start the schools, put the kids back in, school choice, any of those legislative efforts that you think the Republicans will engage in? I am really convinced that you will see efforts in a bipartisan fashion to get schools open. I mean, all across New Mexico, without fail, Republicans and Democrats alike, the one thing they can always agree on is the well-being, safety of their children and their education. And the equally important issue is really opening up the businesses. So are you seeing any effort, a bipartisan effort, developing to open businesses? Well, not as much, unfortunately, but I have had conversations with a few on the other side of the aisle, and they have expressed a desire to work with us across the aisle. I think you're seeing Representative Nybert and Representative Eli apparently are working on a bill on the governor's executive order powers, which would be a direct input into getting businesses back open across New Mexico. That's going to be a little different tone that we're going to have to take. Uh, And I'm convinced that the Republicans in the House have the capacity to take the lead on that, and I think they will. Well, folks, we've been visiting today with Representative Jim Townsend from Eddy County, from Artesia, New Mexico, longtime leader in the House of Representatives, but now the minority leader, and bringing great Great focus among the Republicans in that caucus to get the debates on the floor. It is only in debate, only in amendments to where we can affect the outcomes. And so join with him on his Facebook, like him there where you can follow the events of the session. The Republican Party of New Mexico is going to put out a daily update like we started two years ago. That's going to come out as the session moves forward. So track Jim, track Greg Baca, the senator that we talked to in the earlier part of the program, and keep in touch because they're the ones standing up for the rights of the conservative Democrats and Republicans in New Mexico. God bless you during the session. Godspeed to you, and uh, good luck to you, Jim. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for your leadership. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jim Townsend. And if you, our listeners, would like to get involved with the Republican Party of New Mexico, there are several ways to do that. First, the website, www.gopnm.org. Email contact at gopnm.org. There's a Facebook page and a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. You can call the Republican Party office in Albuquerque at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We look forward to meeting with you again next week right here on Inside New Mexico.